We're in Exodus chapter 10 now. And just to briefly go over what we went through last week in chapter 9, we went through the plague of the cattle and how God distinctly showed the Egyptians the separation between the Israelites and the Egyptians and how, whose animals would have gotten affected. After that, we had the plague of boils. But I want to focus right now on verse 14 of chapter 9. It says, For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. God was using Pharaoh and all the Egyptian people through the plagues that were occurring upon them to show them his glory, to reveal to them who he is and not pagan idols or, or empty deities that they had worshipped. And we had, we had discussed also briefly in Joshua chapter 1 when the two spies went into Rahab, the harlot's house, and she said, we have heard about all the things that your God has done and we are totally afraid of you guys. And how Scott tonight discussed how God had manifested himself to him. He does the same thing to every one of us. The thing is, do we set our pride aside to allow him to reveal himself to us? And when he does, what do we do with it? And that is the question. And with that in mind, we'll continue on to chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. Here it mentions the first time that God not only was working on Pharaoh, but also upon his yes-men also. They were, they were tickling his ears with the things that he wanted to hear all these times. No, no, Pharaoh, you are still God. You are still our deity here. You are the son of Ra. You are still the high priest of the sun god. The god of the Hebrews, he is nothing. You will conquer. You will co- overcome. We can still emulate these plagues. So they were tickling his ears with the things he wanted to hear. So God says, okay, yes, men, you're going to get yours too here. Verse 2 says, And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and, your, and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Previously in chapter 9, verse 15, where God says, Pharaoh, for that you may know, for that the rest of the world may know, so that you can proclaim all the things that you have witnessed. Now he's telling Moses, Moses, this is for you and your sons to tell, to tell them these things that I have done for you, the things that you have witnessed. And folks, as as a grandfather, (laughs) it's kind of weird to say, as a grandfather, (laughs) I myself, you know, I am, you know, when I can, I take every chance to share with my grandsons who's got the greatest love for them of all. They understand it's Jesus. The two-year-old, well, he still, he still sings praises to God. He sings some of the songs that we sing up here. But the six-year-old, he understands. And I share these things also with my son. I share it with him, still in my shame and, and humility, of the things that I experienced when I was younger, before I met my wife, before I met Jesus Christ, of the things that I did. And I tell him these things not as a boast, but as a shame. Look who, the way I was, but look at the way I am now. Look at the, what God has done. And not just in my life, in other people's lives. And also what he's done according to his word. 
we went through a seminar, the men, in Raising a Modern Day Knight. And one of the things that it encourages us to open our lives to our sons, show them where we've been, but where we are now. Encourage them to be men of God also. And here it is as God would institute upon Moses to tell the children and their grandchildren, let this be not a lesson, but an encouragement of what God has done and what he will do and continue to do. And we'll see later on when it gets to the Passover, this will be a never-ending celebration of the Passover. Unfortunately, I'm sure there's a lot of Jews, as Pastor Michael and Alan would attest, would that when they went to Israel, that they go to temple out of tradition. There's some who believe that the Bible is of myth. There are Christians that are the same way also. But we pass these things on as an encouragement for our family. And he reminds them so that you may know that I am the Lord here. Verse 3 says, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. Here's the identification. In case you forgot who it was, it's Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. None of the false gods that you have here in Egypt. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Humility, humbleness, it is not self-centered. It's not geared for the self. It's more like, a, like the definition of love that we have in 1 Corinthians uh, 13. It's humility is a bowing down of oneself, looking out and submitting, submission here. And he says, how long? How long are you going to humble yourself? What's it going to take? How much more do you need me to do in your life for you to break away? You are not a God. I am. Like the old Chevy Chase lines in Saturday Night Live. Hi, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Well, God says, I'm God and you're not, Pharaoh. <laughs> To what extremes does God need our attention? In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit or humble yourselves unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We saw in Daniel that Belshazzar did not humble his heart, and Zedekiah humbled not himself before Jeremiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 12. Those who will not humble themselves before God, God will break. And it's like I've told, I raised, when I raised my son and I raised my grandsons, I said, look, you need to clean up your toys. If you don't clean up your toys, I will spank you and you clean them up. Or you, you clean them up on your own. Either way, they're going to get cleaned up. Which way is it going to be? My way <laughs> or my way? <laughs> is it going to be painless or painful? <laughs> Verse 4 says, For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. God's calling the shots again. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Not just when, but where. It's not going to happen in the vicinities of Egypt, but it's going to be upon your land in Egypt, in Egypt only here. Verse 5 says, They shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of the wheat, of what, I'm sorry, of what has escaped. What is left of you from the hail... And they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. It's incredible to consider how much locusts can eat. They can eat their weight in food. But also, from what I understand, in one square mile, just one square mile, there's anywhere from 100 to 200 million locusts. 
So there was so much here, so much more here in the land of Egypt that it just covered the face of the earth. Can you imagine that? Can you, would you be able to walk around? I had a friend who, when I used to do some field service work, he went and did a business trip out in Texas one time during the summer. He went to a cheap motel only because it was close to the city where he needed to go to. And so he thought, well, I'm going to spend the night here. I am tired. He gets out and he thought, well, the asphalt down there looks kind of weird. Wonder, what's that look like? As he got closer, crunch, crunch, he's going, oh my gosh, it was cockroaches everywhere. The motel was so cheap, as he went into the, in, inside, into the hallway, turn on the lights, they're running around inside too. So can you imagine crunching, trying to walk your way? There were so many that they could not see the ground. Verse 6 says, Then your houses shall be filled, and the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went from Pharaoh. It's reminiscent with the frogs and the flies, how everything came inside the house and not just stayed outside. But these locusts, from what I understand, it's not natural for them to go inside the houses. They usually stay out in the field and eat whatever's out there. They were basically taking the food from the Egyptians' mouths. They were eating everything inside what they had exposed, as well as outside whatever, like the word says, that the hail did not destroy. Now, and it says that he turned in from Pharaoh. He basically didn't wait for an answer. Pharaoh still had a chance here. He says, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. He didn't, God didn't say, tomorrow at this time I will do this. He's still giving him the option. We are given many options also. I know for myself that um, I pray to be in the will of God. But how do I know when I'm in the will? And I appreciate what Pastor says. Do you pray enough? And in all honesty, no, I don't. So I don't. So I don't. Um, don't know where I should stand. But the thing is, as an encouragement, pray every day. Know what the will is. If we submit ourselves, put ourselves upon the altar, and just say, God, you know, all I have is this. Take me. As Scott said and shared with us tonight. This is the best time of my life here. I don't have to worry about what the world, quote-unquote, has to offer. I'm having a blast here not doing what they're not doing. Or not doing what they're doing, actually. And it says also that there's never been such a swarm before. Neither before or ever since. Same reminiscent um, words as from what the hail had said when God brought upon the hail. Verse 7 says, Pharaoh's servants said to him, his yes-men, how long will this man be a snare to us? How long will this man be a snare? Moses is God's representative, and they're attributing all this stuff to Moses. We as Christians should also have the people of the world ask these questions of us. How long are these people going to be around? We can't say our jokes around them. We can't act a certain way around them. How long are these people going to be around us? Isn't that awesome? As a representative of God, we should have that type of reputation. It says, let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Incidentally, this line is going to get Pharaoh here. Let the men go. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? It's almost as if, hey, Pharaoh, don't you have a clue as to what's going on in your land here? You need to come down from your ivory tower and take a look. Have a hint. You already knew, you've already seen from your own eyes, you've experienced some of these things. You need to come outside, 
walk around the kingdom. But this guy, remember, Pharaoh was taught from the time he was raised that he was a god. So he probably just assumed in his own piousness, well, what do I have to worry about? This is my land. These are my people. You guys just need to tell me, you, you guys just need to tell me what I need to know or what I want to hear. Don't you realize that Egypt is destroyed? Verse 8 says, So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. It's almost like, uh, you know what, you guys have a point here. Why don't, you go, why don't you fetch those guys and bring them back? And he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are, who are the ones that are going? Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we shall go, for we must hold a feast of the Lord. It's almost as if, uh, remind me again, who needs, what do you need to do? Who needs to go? And what are the stipulations here if I don't let you go? What are the conditions if I don't? Well, time after time, he says, God says, do this or I will unleash this. So Moses says, we need to go with everything that we have. We're going to worship to God. We're going to sacrifice him with all that we have. A lot of people might consider the worldly possessions as the most precious things to them. But we as Christians, we have these things through the will of God or the allowance of God, if you will. What do we do with these things? Do we have them at God's disposal? A lot of people say, well, might even consider, I know I did, is that when I first became a Christian, what, what do I have to offer God? Don't ask me to teach. I mean, 13 years later, <laughs> I'm up here now. Or, um, you know, I know how to play an instrument. Well, you see me up here. Um, I wouldn't know how to witness to anybody. But the Lord used me in whatever capacity that He knows that I'm able to. He even pushes me because sometimes I don't even know my own limits. I'll exceed even further. And even with the things that He has given me, it has been a blessing to others. I, I, I've seen this. So the, the thing is, are we willing to be used of God with what we have at His timing with whatever it is that we have? Are we willing to be used of God to sacrifice unto Him? Verse 10 says, Then He said to them, Thus may the Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, take heed, for evil is in your mind. I like what the NIV says. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go, along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil, which means that you're basically saying you want to get out of Egypt here just for, just for freedom. How inconsiderate. You, are, you people are slaves. You belong in the place here. And verse 11 says, Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. No, that, that's not what Moses had desired. He says we will go with our families, with everything that we have. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. In Pharaoh's thinking, I, I suppose back then in those times that most of these sacrifices were done with mostly men. And perhaps Pharaoh's leaning towards this way. You don't need your women. You don't need your children. How would Satan desire to entice us? You know, stay home. You don't need to go out. You're too tired. You've worked too much. You've got too much on your mind. Don't go to midweek. Don't go to Sunday mornings. Don't go to a home fellowship. Don't go to Tuesday morning. Don't fellowship, period. 
Don't read your Bible. Don't bother. What's the sense? How much will Satan desire to distract us from whatever that he has to put us in that place? Faith involves the whole family here, not the men only. It is a privilege of the husband and the father to lead the family to the blessings and to the Lord. Amen? If the men left their families behind, they would have left them defenseless, not militarily, but spiritually. So it's great that I'm appreciative how we again go back to that seminar that we have in Raising a Modern Day Night. Not only did I learn how to raise my son, but also continue to grow as a man myself. Verse 12 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hail had left. It's interesting there how when God says, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, it's almost like summon them, call them. Now it's time for them to be set up as a situation for which I have created them for. Verse 13 says, So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. It's almost like they had their version of the Santa Ana winds there from a certain part of the day up until the whole part until the next morning these locusts were blown from the east. And it's interesting how it says that these locusts came from the east. In Joel chapter 1, verse 4, it gives us a description of um, four different locusts here. It says, What the chewing locusts left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. So, here we see a picture of just one right after another, wave after wave of consumption here. So that's where everything had um, from the Egyptians, whatever was left from the hail that was not eaten, or I'm sorry, was not destroyed, you have this huge wave, like a tidal wave, wave after wave of these locusts coming in upon Egypt there. Verse 14 says, The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt, they were very numerous. In the King James, I believe it says they were very grievous. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. It's almost like you can even consider that perhaps God did create a special kind of locust for this purpose. It says that God told uh, Pharaoh, there's never been anything like this before, never going to be like this again. Special kind of locust. We see these locusts also, or certain kind of locusts also appear in the book of Revelation. That they come upon man and, and don't touch the vegetation, but they harm and they sting man for approximately six months. A special kind. Verse 15 says, For they covered the surface of the whole land, so that the land was darkened. It's interesting, just keep that in mind here, the land was darkened here by the locusts. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. The devastation was beyond imagination here. Their numbers were so massive that the ground was black. It was just so much. And can you imagine being stuck in your home trying to walk outside, these things just pouring on in 
crunch, 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 all inside there in your own house. Verse 16 says, Then Pharaoh, Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron. I wonder why. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Last time he said when he had sinned, he says, I and my people are wicked. Oh, Pharaoh, it's okay. It's nice for you to hide behind your people. But him being the leader here, he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. And we'll see here how Pharaoh, even though he acknowledges his sin, he's not going to seek, he doesn't seek repentance. He seeks more relief here. Verse 17 says, Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. And make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. Back in verse 16, he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. He has seen all these miracles occur. God is using nature against Pharaoh. Back to the gods of Egypt and the things that they had worshipped, including the animals. Pharaoh has a, is a witness here. He sees who God is. He understands that it's the God of the Hebrews, yet he rejects him. He's not... I have sinned. He acknowledges the sinning, being obstinate and pious, but he does not do anything about it. And it's kind of like if you've encountered anybody who you try to witness to nowadays, you try to witness to people, you need to turn away from what you're doing because it's not good for you. Why? It leads to death. And yet people still try to live the way they want to, desire the way they want to, do the things, everything that they want to, it's, again, what Scott had said tonight, it's my life and I want to do with it what I want. Well, it is your life, but what you're going to do, what you want to do is lead to death. You can't, you can't live like hell and try to get to heaven. If I can, <laughs> that's what, I know that's, that was my philosophy. How much hell can I get away with and still get to heaven? And yet, people in, in when, when their comfort is attacked, when, when things occur in their lives, who do they reach to? Who do they reach out to immediately? God or even those who are representatives of God. Please pray for me. Please pray that uh, I get delivered from this situation. But I don't want to go to church. I know that God is righteous. I know what He stands for. But I want nothing to do with Him. I want to live my life. I want to sit here in the darkness. And this is basically what Pharaoh was saying here. Verse 18 says, He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. It's almost reminiscent, if you recall, when Jesus met the demoniacs, and they said, what will you have to do with us, Jesus, before it's time? He says, what do you want me to do? He says, send us into that herd of swine. And Jesus says, go. They all went and possessed the herd of swine and they all ran into the sea there. It's almost reminiscent of that. In verse 20 said, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go. And verse 21 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky. Here we have another plague coming upon Egypt but with no warning. That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt even a darkness which may be felt. This plague was aimed at one of the chief deities. Actually, I believe it's the chief deity of the Egyptians and as the sun god Ra, of whom Pharaoh was a representation. He was also known as the son of Ra. 
Rob was responsible for providing sunlight, warmth, and, product, and productivity. Other gods, including Horus, were associated with the sun. And like the third and sixth plagues, this ninth judgment came without warning. The exact nature of the darkness is uncertain, but Goshen was spared. We will see that. I was looking through some commentaries for people's opinions and how this darkness came about and how people try to, again, justify how this darkness occurred. Well, with all the strong winds that came upon, it kicked up a sandstorm. They attribute this darkness over the land of Egypt, just Egypt, though, over a sandstorm. And with when you get high winds, and we know Santa Ana winds, if you walk across the carpet, it stirs up a static electricity. And they're, I don't understand. These are supposed to be scholars, supposed to be scholars, that's, that read the word of God, but they come up with these other things that try to justify, and that's not right. If the word of God says that it was a darkness, what does it consist of? We can only speculate, but it was a darkness. I remember when my wife and I went, were on our honeymoon, we were in the Caribbean, and one of these islands, they had this huge cavern, so we took a cavern tour, and they, we all boarded upon this little train, and we went down into the depths, and he had all these lights on going down. And then he stopped. He says, okay, we're going to turn off all the lights so that you can experience full darkness. And I'm not kidding you. I mean, I waved my hand in front of my face, see if my eyes could pick anything up. And, you know, people are like starting to freak out. It's almost, it's really claustrophobic. It's a darkness you can feel. But I think it goes something beyond there. God was not only saying, I have declared war upon every god but also your chief god so I'm, I'm punching his lights out if you will but also that the Egyptians practiced a pagan religion you want darkness you want deception you got it I am the true god I am the true god of light you want me to take away your darkness here it is now if you turn over briefly put your, leave your finger here go over to Psalm 78 over at Psalm 78, gives a better description of what this, of what this darkness um, could have consisted of or, or was made of. Psalm, 70, Psalm 78, verses 40 through 49. And the psalmist tells us how often, it's, it's, he's given us a, um, he's reminding us of, of what happened there in Egypt concerning the plagues and how the disobedience of the Israelites um, how they forgot. But in verse 70, uh, 40 it says, I'm sorry, 78 verse 40 says, How often they rebelled against him in the desert and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day he redeemed them from the oppressor, the day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders on the region of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood. They could not drink from their streams. He sent swarms of flies that devoured them, and frogs devastated them. He gave their crops to the grasshopper, their produce to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore figs with sleet. He gave over their cattle to the hail, their livestock to bolts of lightning. He unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility. 
a band of destroying angels. The darkness that the Egyptians felt there was the occult. If anybody has experienced anything concerning the occult, you know what is not of God. This could be what this darkness that they felt was. The spirits, these demonic spirits that these people were praying to. Now back at Exodus, the thick darkness that occurred there, if you, it's almost reminiscent too, but well, let me read verse 22, I'm sorry. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. This thick darkness, it's almost reminiscent, I'm sure, of when Jesus died on the cross. There was darkness in the land for three hours, and the inhabitants of Sodom were struck with blindness, and they were, they were feeling around in desperation. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, but says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are the sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, because we are the children of God. Amen? We will not be in darkness. First John 1, 5 and 6 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. For three days, there was darkness. Verse 23 says, They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. We have in us a natural fear of darkness, especially children. You turn off the lights, oh, can we turn on the light again? Or maybe we even as adults, we might leave a light on. Oh, that's not so I don't trip. That's why I don't trip on anything if I have to get up. But there is a, there is a natural fear that we have. Thick and total darkness, as I explained to you when we were in our, on our honeymoon and we experienced that, that blackness, it really messes with your, with your time and physical bearings. You don't know what time it is. If it's dark for three days, how do they know it was for three days? It was dark, and if three days seemed like a long time, imagine what an eternity would be in the outer darkness. So there was no alternating light or darkness, no changing of day. People were imprisoned in their homes and says that they didn't go out of their homes. They, didn't basically, they basically didn't move. It's like they were bound and imprisoned in their homes. Talk about cabin fever. They didn't know how long it was. Remember how Jonah, how he was in three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. How do you know it was three days and three nights? Well, obviously God must have told him somehow. But he was stuck in that murky fish and the guts and, you know, just stuck there. And finally he had enough sense to pray, Lord, deliver me, please. Now one thing it doesn't mention, but I'm not sure, I, I, this is just my own speculation here. Imagine being caught out in the field when this darkness struck. You're really out in the open and lost. And the thing, too, that struck me was that it was all of the land of Egypt. And all of the land of Egypt included men, women, and children that were stuck in here. These people were lost and bound. Verse 24 says, Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, This was after the darkness, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. This is Pharaoh's attempt at a, at a fourth compromise here. 
Thanks, okay, take everybody, but leave your flocks behind. It's almost like saying, well, you know, I want compensation, but it's almost like saying, okay, I need an anchor to keep you here. If I can have you, like a deposit, come on back. So I know that you're coming back. Verse 25 says, But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. They don't know what God's going to require for sacrifice or let alone how much. If he says X amount of oxen, X amount of doves, X amount of whatever it is, they don't know. They need to take everything. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. It's amazing all that he has experienced and yet he still did not give in. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again, for in that day you see my face, you shall die. It's amazing. He called for Moses. He knew where to get his relief from, from all these plagues. He knew who was praying for him. Yet he says, you know what? Get away from me. If, you, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. It's almost reminiscent of an abusive relationship. You know, here you have one trying to help when the other run out, witnessing to him. And he says, get away from me. I want nothing to do with you anymore. Pharaoh's, and then Moses said, you are right. I shall never see your face again. It's almost heartbreaking in how we can consider we discussed last week and the similarities between the plagues of Egypt and the plagues that are to come concerning the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments and that an unbelieving world would be left here experiencing these things. And my question is, is what are we doing in our own lives to prevent people that we know that are directly related to us not by blood but in work, in school, wherever it is that we go, that we share with them the importance of the gospel for their own sake, that they would have life eternal, not damnation or death, not that separation from God as we had seen here, perhaps an illustration of the outer darkness. We have a rejecting world that we live in. Are we doing our part in sharing the gospel? We have applied, how, we, how, we can, how, we, how can we apply these plagues to us? Well, we are not appointed unto wrath. We have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't experience these things, but we probably will see these from a distance, just as in the land of Goshen, how the Israelites had seen the hail come down. Probably from a distance, they seen the devastation occur, but not in the land of Goshen. We will see these things probably from a distance. And how will we feel for missed opportunities of witnessing, of sharing with somebody the gospel? I want to share with you some interesting observations here. If we lay out the ten plagues structurally, if you get one through ten, but you get one and ten, those two plagues relate to blood. We see the water turn to blood and we will see the blood on the doorposts. On plagues two and nine, Frogs are night creatures, and we saw darkness here for three days. And plagues three and eight, the lice from the dust, and we saw the locusts covering the earth. 
and plagues four and seven, flies, and we saw thunder and hail. The land of Goshen is specifically mentioned here that they were exempt from these things. And plagues five and six, we saw disease in the cattle and boils on men. Just speculation, just an observation. Don't know what it means. The similarities between Exodus and Revelation, we see the two witnesses on both parts. We see Moses and Aaron, and we see two that we, we think are Moses and Elijah. The enemies of God also do miracles in both, especially in Revelation chapter 13. God executes judgment on the world, not just on Egypt, but even though we see that Egypt is a form of, of, of the world, in Revelation God executes judgment upon the whole world. But in both books, God protects his people. We are children of the light, folks. We can praise God for that. We can praise God for all the blessings that he has given us. But he, he doesn't want us just to hold them for ourselves. We need to share these things. And as we gather for prayer tonight, we all know of somebody in our lives whom we could witness to. We, if we lift up their names in, in the open, or maybe even our hearts, just to remember them, that God would do work in their hearts. God would use us in whatever capacity to help reach our family, our friends, our co-workers. That God would usher them into the kingdom. That their last breath here on earth would be their first in heaven. Amen? Can you join me in prayer? Father, we want to thank you, Lord, so much for all that you've done. And as we sang tonight, Lord... We proclaim you as our God and King. That without you, Father, we would be totally lost in the outer darkness. But you have called each an individual person here, Lord. And we want to thank you for not giving up, not just for the one time, but persistently, Lord, and actively calling us. Thank you, Father, for the deliverance from this world. And I pray, Lord, for everybody here, that you would use us all, Lord, especially the entire church, this Calvary Church of Corona, Father, that this fellowship would be used by you, Father, for your glory, to deliver a message, a believing and true message unto the unbelieving world outside these doors, Father. And we can't say thank you enough, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.